Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And as we come out of chapter 5, a chapter that is talking about the temporal versus the eternal, and how Paul wants them to focus upon the eternal things of God. These are believers that need to recognize God's grace in a way of what he has done for them and to live for the eternal things of God and that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And we see Paul putting an emphasis on chapter 5. Don't live for yourselves, but live for the eternal things of God, and that we have a ministry of reconciliation, and that we are ambassadors for Christ. All of that is the context leading up into chapter 6. And he says in verse 1, And working together with him, that we are working together with God, with Christ, that we are ministers of reconciliation, going back to chapter 5. We also urge you, who is you, the Corinthian believers, not to receive the grace of God in vain to take this grace that has come to them and live for the eternal things of God. Do not live for yourselves, but be an ambassador for Christ. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, God says, and he's going to quote from Isaiah 49. Now, this quote is coming right after our part of the servant song, the second servant song, Isaiah 49, that is really speaking about the Messiah. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the salvation of God that Isaiah spoke about, that has come through the servant, the suffering servant, as you get to chapter 53, that you see that today that we're living in, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, today is that day of salvation. Everything that was prophesied by Isaiah through these four songs, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and then chapter 53, that today is the day of salvation and not to receive the grace of God in vain. We need to be ambassadors for Christ. This is the context in which we are dealing with coming out of chapter 5. Don't live for yourself, but live for the glory of God. Be ministers of reconciliation. This is going to flow into verse 3. He says, giving no cause for offense to in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. 
So Alan is here with me today, and we have, we have been discussing these three verses for some time. So the whole context is ministry. The whole context is our focus as believer, the eternal things, not the temporal things. We are ministers of reconciliation, and there is also the understanding that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So everything is flowing out of our responsibility to be ambassadors of Christ. We do not want to give an offense in anything so that the ministry, what is the ministry? The ministry of reconciliation, of bringing the good news, the gospel, the new covenant, the Messiah has come and bringing his salvation to the world, and we do not want to see that ministry discredited in any way. Yeah, and I I like that, Scott, and I think, well, you know, you look in, go flowing in the verse floor, you know, he says, in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance and affliction, hardships, distresses and beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors and sleeplessness and hunger, in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love. If you look at verse 5, those are a lot of things, tough things to, you know, give no offense in. And Paul has lived this out. You can kind of say, well, having our life right and living right, we're supposed to do that. But also, during these really hard times which Paul has faced, he still had a good testimony. He still had a good witness. He still didn't give cause for offense to those people, and, and he still let them see the gospel of Christ. So that's a powerful statement, I think, that Paul is telling the Corinthians. And it's not just an easy, well, be nice to everybody to not mess up the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, no, when you go through these things, you're called to glorify God through that, through that ministry of reconciliation. Go back to verse 18 in chapter 5, where he said, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So we have this ability through Christ, through salvation, to live this way and not give cause for offense. Yes, I, I think when we look at what he is saying, and I agree What you're saying here is don't receive the grace of God in vain. We have been saved. Today is the day of salvation. Are we going to look at the eternal things of God or the temporal things of men? Are we going to be ambassadors of Christ? Now, it's very interesting that Paul is quoting from the second servant song of Isaiah 49 here. And look at verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as what? Servants. Servants of God. And again, those four servant songs of Isaiah are so incredible. The gospel comes through those songs in the Hebrew language and that poetry in such an incredible way. And when you get to the final one, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant that lays his life down as a lamb that is being led to the slaughter and how he becomes a substitutional sacrifice for the sins of Israel and the sins of the world. Today is the day of salvation. Going back to the second song, Today is the day we need to see that that salvation has come to us. Now we need to be servants of God. Let's not receive the grace of God in vain. And going back to verse 4 again, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. Our master was a servant that brought about God's salvation. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? It is a servant. We are to be servants of God. And he says, and much endurance, like you read, 
and afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. And then he goes on in purity and truth or knowledge and patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit and genuine love. So we've gone through all these things as servants of God, but we have to do, and we have done this in purity and knowledge and patience and in kindness. How do we do this? Through the power of God's Spirit and genuine love. So I really think the whole essence of what we're talking about as we're flowing contextually, and remember, it's all about original intent. It's about the ministry that God has called us to do as the body of Christ. It's about the ministry that God has called Paul to do. And if we're going to do this, we have to think about the eternal things of God. And let's not receive the grace of God in vain. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And so we have to look at the eternal things of God and giving no cause, going back to verse 3, no cause of offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. It's about the ministry of what God has called us to do. What is that? A ministry of reconciliation, of man that is lost, separated from God, bringing the good news, the power of the gospel, and people are reconciled back to God. And we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. So let's not give any offense that the gospel can be discredited. So if we have to go through hardships and afflictions, let's have endurance, and there will be distresses and beatings, and we go on and on, but let's do it in purity and in knowledge, the truth. Let's have patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit, in the power of genuine love. So praise God for that. Let's be about God's business, doing God's work, being used by God, and we receive the grace of God. We receive this great salvation, and let's do something that God has asked us to do. Let's be ambassadors of Christ. Going to verse 7, he continues, In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left. Now, let's read verses 8 through 10 here, and I believe what it is saying, in all situations, being ambassadors of Christ and being used by God. Again, verse 7, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying Yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. I believe what Paul is saying here, in every situation, how people regard us, how people look at us, what is the lie, what is the truth, what is the reality, in all situations, be ready to be an ambassador for Christ. Do not allow the gospel to be discredited. Let's continue. Alan, could you read for us verses 11 through 13, and let's look at these verses. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. 
You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So, Alan, when we look at these verses, what I am seeing is the relationship between a founder, an apostle, and the people that he brought the gospel to as a spiritual father with children. And what is restraining them from going the wrong direction is that relationship. They trust him. He knows that they know, I should say, that he is the one that endured all these things to bring the gospel to them. And he reminds them over and over in the first letter, they received the gospel through the power of God's Spirit, and they were born of the Spirit, and they came into this kingdom by a work of God's Spirit, even though he was with them in weakness and trembling and in fear. And God did a work among the Corinthians, and Paul remained faithful to what God called him to do at Corinth, and he was there for a year and a half, and a relationship was built. He brought the gospel to them. He brought the good news of what Isaiah had prophesied about, and now they are saved, and now it's time to do things for God. It's time to be ambassadors of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, not bringing any offense to the ministry so that it will not be discredited. And what's going to hold these believers in tune with Paul and what he is saying? It is their relationship. It's not forced upon them, but by their own affections, like children, open up your heart to me. Open up your heart. And I believe that he says, open wide to us also, that there is such a relationship that is from heart to heart between Paul and the believers. Then we come into verses 14 through 18. And let's read these verses, and I'll read these verses, and we'll take them one verse at a time. But it's about not being unequally yoked. And the context here, if you go back to chapter 5 or say the whole letter, there is a battle that is going on between ministers that represent the eternal and ministers that are trying to get their eyes off of what is important for the temporal things. And there are men that have been attacking Paul. And when we get to chapters 10 through 13, it's going to come to a full spiritual battle that you see very clearly that is going on with false apostles within the Corinthian church, false leaders, false teachers that are trying to make the people submit to them, even physically, chapter 11, by hitting them in the face. However, Paul has a relationship with them from the heart. And by their affections, he wants their heart to be wide open to them. And he doesn't want them to be unequally yoked. That is the context here. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So in that verse, it's setting this understanding is that you be bound to us from the heart. Open your hearts to us. You are uh, restrained by us. It's your affections the relationship that is holding us close together. So don't be bound together with unbelievers. And Alan, I don't believe this is talking about unbelievers outside of the church. The whole context is these ungodly men within the church, if you look at the whole letter, that are trying to lead them away from the eternal things of God and lead them into submission to them that would take their eyes off of Christ. 
And so don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Belial is a Greek word that is coming from a Hebrew word that means wickedness or worthlessness. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And let me stop there. He asked that question. For us to be bound together with unbelievers, with unrighteousness, is similar to having the temple of God and putting idols inside of the temple. The two cannot come together. The things of God will be destroyed. If you have the temple and you put idols into the temple, the temple does not have any value. The temple, which was built for God's glory, now becomes pagan, and it doesn't accomplish anything except wickedness. So what harmony has Christ, the Messiah, with Belial? Nothing. It's worthlessness. It's wickedness. Christ is holiness. Christ is righteousness. It would be like having idols in the temple of God. We are not to be bound together with unbelievers. Scott, I'll just I'll ask you this because I know other people are thinking it, and I think you know, growing up in a Christian background and in a Christian home, and especially in youth services, you'd hear this. You know, when it comes to dating a lot, or it comes to marriage, and I've even heard it used when it comes to business relationships. So I just want to get your thoughts on. When people put it in that context, is that a stretch, stretching that out? And I think, you know, knowing, you know, the heart of God and knowing, reading the entire word, you could say, you know, yes, you shouldn't be bound together in that sense with, with someone that is not a Christian or knows Christ. But but how would you take someone that, that uses that in that setting of, of marriage or business relationships and, you know, what would you speak to on that? Right. Here, I think it is speaking contextually more with the unbelieving false apostles that have come into the Corinthian church. The principle in general is true. In other places in the Bible, we see in the context of marriage, of not being unequally yoked. A believer should never marry a non-believer. A believer should not come into a union in that way. Even though that this is in the context within the church and false teachers that have come in that do not represent Christ, the general principle applies across the board, I believe. What destroyed the nation of Israel more than anything, probably, when you look back upon its, upon its history, is the intermarriage with other people groups that were not in a covenant relationship with God, that were not in the faith. And when the sons of Israel married the daughters of the Canaanites or the Philistines and vice versa, it brought idol worship. It brought their faith into the faith of Israel. And Israel, from 1375 B.C., when they finally settled the land, all the way until 586 B.C., when Jerusalem and Judea are destroyed and the Jews are taken into Babylon, always struggled with idol worship. Always. Because of the intermarriage of people of different faiths. Look at Solomon. Solomon had a thousand wives. Look how they brought all of their influence within the nation of Israel. In fact, during Solomon's time, there were idols put up in the temple. And Paul could have that in mind when he's talking about not being bound together with unbelievers. And so whether we're talking about dating, talking about marriage, 
If you cannot marry a non-believer, you shouldn't ever date a non-believer. When we're talking about within the church, Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. So if you're running around with people that really are not people of the faith and they do not walk a life in the Spirit, then that's going to have an influence upon your life, and then it's going to have an effect on your faith. And you can see slowly that person walking away from the things of God. People always say, but what about Jesus? Jesus went to the home of sinners. Yes, he went to the home of sinners on his terms. And he didn't go there to hang out with them and participate in any of the wickedness or unrighteousness of anything within their life. What is he doing? He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So as believers, we are not to be bound together with unbelievers. Now, you mentioned about in business and things of that nature. There are some things in life that maybe we don't have a choice. If you're working in a company and you may have unbelievers all around you, you need to be careful that they're not having influence over your life. I can work with them and I can have a great witness with them, but I don't have to go out with them and be in situations that could be compromised of my faith. Yes, we may be in business with unbelievers. That doesn't mean that we're bound to them. We're bound to them as we're participating and part of their life, and their life is influencing our life. However, in this context, the unrighteousness, the unbeliever, is within the church and having influence. Now, when we get to chapter 11, I think you're going to see it very clear. These are false apostles. They have a false gospel. They're coming with a different spirit, and they do not represent Christ. They are not ambassadors of Christ. And in this context, I believe he's talking to that. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Yeah, Scott, that clears it up a lot. And that's, that's interesting because he is talking about unbelievers and, and not being connected with them in the body of Christ. And it seems like these people are, are leaders or want to be leaders in the church in Corinth. And I think that's interesting because you could see that back then where, where you know, this is a new church. It's a new body of Christ. So you have people coming in, you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing that are coming in trying to deceive. Yeah, and that speaks to me a little bit today about some of the ministers or the people that you see that here Paul is calling them unbelievers. He's calling them, you know, idol worshipers, you know, everything that's against God. But they're in the body of Christ. The Corinthians had to be careful of these wolves coming in, trying to take advantage of them, yes. trying to use Christ's name for their own gain and their own self-advantage. Yeah, and that speaks to me today about who are we following? What books are we reading? By who? Are they yes. are they really believers? Or are they really trying to use the name of Christ and some truth for yes. their gain? And think about what is restraining them. It's their relationship with the founder of the church, yeah. a heart relationship. He says, open up your heart wide to us. And so these are young believers that should have grown up from the first letter, should have been mature, but they're still in the process of growing up. They should be eating meat, but they're still drinking milk. So they're still baby believers in a lot of ways. And you see that in the first letter, how much division and how many problems, how many issues, and the lack of God's Word not being evident within the body of Christ. So what's going to restrain them is their own affections for Paul. And so don't be bound together with these individuals, and it does speak volumes for us today. Make sure that people within the church, the body of Christ, 
on television, on radio, within your own local gathering, that there could be individuals there that are not ambassadors of Christ. And you need to recognize it by God's word and do not be bound with unbelievers. And Paul calls them unbelievers here. Chapter 11, he's going to call them false apostles. Now, the last statement in verse 16, or let's go back to verse 16, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You cannot mix God's temple and put idols in the temple of God. Then he says, for we are the temple of the living God. We are. We are God's temple. We are filled with God's spirit. We belong to God. We are ambassadors of Christ. And now he's going to quote from Exodus, also from Ezekiel and Isaiah and 2 Samuel. He says, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, to be set apart for God's glory. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters unto me, says the Lord Almighty. What he is saying, as believers, we are set apart for God's glory. He's quoting in one of these passages here from Ezekiel 37 about the redemption. It's in a prophecy, the redemption that God will do for the Jewish people when he gives them a new heart and he puts his spirit within them and a day that they will have David as their king and they'll have one servant and God will be their God and they will be his people and he will be in the midst of them. That doesn't show any compromise at all. That shows a people set apart, separated for God's glory so that it can be a light and have a witness to everybody that is around. If we're bound to unbelievers, how can the light of the Messiah, the light of Christ, shine through our lives if we're bound to unbelievers, if we're listening to things and following people that do not represent the truth and are not ambassadors of Christ? We are to be set apart, separated. God is our God. We are his people. What is important is that we walk in the things of God. This is what Paul is saying. Now, going back to the very beginning, through all of this context, let me read verse 1 again. Because Alan and I looked at this and we studied it for some time. He says, and working together with him, We're working together with God, with his Messiah. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We have received such an incredible salvation. Let's do something for God's glory. Let's be ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this chapter, for what you are saying through Paul to the church at Corinth. And what it meant is what it means for us today. We receive your word, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, O God. And Lord, let us be bound to you and break us of everything that binds us except that which binds us to you, your will, your plan for our lives, and to your heart, O God. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global.
and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.